Welcome to the Kevin Garnett episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 5. My name is Logan Wortman, and today I'm going to be talking about some teams in the Pacific Division, namely the Warriors, Clippers, and Lakers. And this is the next installment in the Over Under series that we've been going through. Um, we went through all the teams in the East, and so now we're just going on to the teams in the West. If you've been listening to the other episodes in this series, then you'll probably know how these work, but if not, this is how they go. I'm going to play a clip of Jake Broth, Anthony Levzenuk, and I guessing over-unders on team regular season win totals right before the season started. And just to explain a little bit of the rules of that really quick, we all had to use three locks and three stayaways. A lock makes a guess worth three points instead of just one. Um, so if you get it right, you get three points. Uh, if you get a guess wrong, it'll be zero. You just won't get any points for it. A stayaway makes it basically so you just eliminate that team from your guesses like you just don't guess on that team so you get zero no matter what so it's not really an advantage but everybody has to use them so you want to use them on the teams that you're least confident about teams that you could really see going either way you know over or under so yeah hopefully that makes sense but yeah like i said i'm going to play that clip and then i'm going to provide some commentary basically just on how our picks are holding up and how these teams are doing so far and like i said we've already gone through all the teams in the east so on this episode, we'll be looking at the first few teams in the Western Conference uh, and the Pacific Division, so Golden State and the two LA teams. If you've been listening along to this series, then you'll probably know that so far on the show, each episode has had a video version as well as an audio-only version. The videos go up on YouTube, and then I just post the audio of that video to the podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but I think I'm going to change that up moving forward. So from now on, starting right now, the audio episode is going to be its own unique episode, and then I'll put out a shorter video that week that covers something adjacent to that topic, basically. Or at least that's the idea um, right now. So we'll see how this goes, but I'm excited for it just so I can have shorter, more digestible video content up on YouTube and then still have this more long-form content in the podcast format. But yeah, so without further ado, I'm going to let you guys get into what Jacob and Anthony and I recorded right before the season started of us doing our over-under picks. Starting off, this first clip will be the Golden State Warriors. Their over-underline was 48.5 wins. And after that clip, um, you'll hear me come back to provide those additional thoughts and commentary, I guess. So yeah, enjoy. Now on to Golden State. I am using my last stay away on the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they have Curry, obviously. Thompson's coming back. How good will he be? You know, he he was one the, the, probably the best 3 and D player in the NBA when healthy. But, you know, he tore his ACL and Achilles. Yep. And that hurts on the defensive end. You're not going to be as quick. His shooting will obviously be there. You're not going to lose shooting like that mm-hmm. as a player with his capabilities. But it, it's a tough one to look at because, you know, he can easily just get hurt again. You know, those types of injuries can happen again. Uh, Curry, he's been having – he gets – you know, his broken finger or something with his ankle can happen as well. It's just, it's just a tough team. They have a good roster. They can easily go over, but they can easily, you know, win 47, 46 games because it's a tough West. So I have them B tier, though. B tier. All right. I think they're a good team. Yeah. I've got the under. I don't know when they're getting Clay back. 
and I have a different team I want to use uh, my stay away on. So I'm going to use my under. I think Steph can do a lot, but he's also older than people think. Kind of not super injury prone. And I also think with Clay coming back from an Achilles, what Kevin Durant did kind of made people forget how bad an Achilles injury is. Like yeah. it messes everything up. Like yeah. in, in theory, your shooting motion is still there. But if you jump different because your Achilles is still yippity, who knows what your shots can look like? Not saying that I don't think Clay Thompson's obviously working through all that stuff. Um, but if they don't get Clay back until February, that's 40 games into the season with a really bad team, and maybe Steph needs to take a couple nights off. It'll. Ju- I just feel like it'll be a really uphill climb for them to get to that 49 wins to get the over. That's why I took the under. Also agree with Anthony. I think they are a good team when they get everybody back and they're healthy. And I've got them as a, a lower t- a lower tier B tier team. Kind of the exact situation as the Heat, where I could see them like low playoff make, like getting that six or being part of that seven eight part of the play in type of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. This is gonna be my last, or this is my second. Yeah, this is only my second. I'm gonna lock the under on this one, just because I feel like so, yeah. just because the warrior they're the Warriors. That's a really high number. I feel like for them this regular season, given like all like their whole situation, they just got you know a couple of rookies that are both like not win now type pieces they're both like projects you know except for maybe maybe moody could fit in right away but who knows but like they're gonna be playing wiseman and those guys quite a bit i feel like especially early on in the season while they're still waiting for clay because they want to develop develop that talent you know and that's just going to lead to some losses it it just will steph's going to put up crazy numbers jordan Poole, honestly i think we'll have a breakout season but i don't see them reaching 49 wins that's so little high i feel like uh, I think they're going to be more in the plan range, a little bit higher than they were last year, which was like the nine, you know? So I think they might be like seven this year, I think is safe. So, and I also put them in the B tier for me though, just because ceiling, obviously they've got, you know, the best shooters of all time, two of them. So, all right. So I was really wrong on Golden State. Again, their line was 48 and a half and they're on pace for 56 wins at the moment. So yeah, Jacob and I both went under, so we're both going to be wrong. Anthony used to stay away, which is probably a good choice. And I believe in that clip that you guys just heard, you hear me lock the under on the Warriors. But later as we moved through the West, I actually removed my lock from the Warriors and used it somewhere else because there were two other teams in the West that I ended up deciding to use my locks on. And then I also used my other lock in the East on the Cavs for the over. So yeah, I'm glad that I didn't end up locking the under on the Warriors because they're obviously going way over. But I honestly did feel pretty confident about picking the under with them. I thought their line was kind of inflated because of the idea of Klay Thompson returning at some point in the season. And I thought the West was going to be a lot stronger than it ended up being. Also, one of my main points that I made for deciding on the under is that I was expecting them to use the time before Klay's return um, to play like their lottery picks and get them some reps and experience to kind of get them into the mix. I thought that would be kind of a struggle for them, just based on how it was for them last season in James Wiseman's rookie year. They didn't win a lot of games when they were trying to develop him, but this season that didn't end up being an issue um, because Wiseman had setbacks in returning from his injury that's kept him out this entire season. Then there's their uh, 7th and 14th overall picks from this year's draft. Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, and they haven't given them a whole lot of minutes either. Kaminga's been playing a lot more recently, um, and he's looked really intriguing, especially as a big wing defensive prospect in the time that he's had this season. 
and Warriors fans are really excited about having him as a part of the team's future. Moody hasn't really had enough time on the court yet to totally see what he could be, um, at least from what I've seen. But my point is, Steve Kerr and the Warriors definitely haven't really tried to bring those guys in right away and develop them into a part of their system this season. Um, Whether you agree with that decision or not, it's undeniable that it's a big reason why they've been able to win so many games this year. They've leaned more on their veterans like Otto Porter Jr., Damian Lee, and uh, like Manya Bielitsa, even Iggy, um, Andre Godal, they brought him back. But yeah, like last summer, I thought that Porter and Bielitsa were great pickups for them in free agency. I've been a fan of Bielitsa for a while now. Um, I just really like the way he plays. He spaces the floor really well. Uh, he's a really smart and crafty playmaker, and he hits big shots. I honestly was really confused by the negativity around Otto Porter um, and him signing with the Warriors. Um, from what I was hearing from people, like it seemed like a lot of people were really uh, off him. Like They really thought that Porter's career was basically over and that he wasn't going to provide anything for a team wanting to win. But I saw him in multiple games just last season while he was on the Bulls and also on the Magic. Um, and I thought he looked fine which is basically all you're looking for from him. You know, as a bench role player, he's always been a good shooter off the catch. Um, and he's got good size at 6'8". And he was only like 27 or 28 last season. Like I thought for sure on a good team, he's going to be able to provide at least some level of value on the defensive end. And both those guys have been great in the roles this season, honestly. Both Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielica. Gary Payton the second has kind of emerged this season playing that like Bruce Brown on the 2021 Nets type of role. You know, like a super athletic guard that's like a hard-nosed perimeter defender who on offense uses the abundance of floor spacing that the rest of his team provides um, and like uses that to attack the rim by like cutting, uh, slashing, rolling, you know, that kind of thing. It's just kind of interesting to see these new roles that kind of get created um, as this pace and space era continues to progress, um, you know, the type of skill sets and players that come up and they're, you know, they're types of players that weren't deemed to be useful, you know, just a few years ago, but now with teams figuring out, you know, playing small or playing, you know, five out with shooters, um, you can have a guard that can't shoot. You know, if he does all these other scrappy hustle type things, you know, like playing off ball cutting and, um, he's, you know, he's athletic enough to finish at the rim pretty well um, and stuff like that, especially if he's good on defense, you know, and switchable, then he has a role, you know, um, and that's just kind of what Gary Payton the second has been this season for the Warriors. And I think Bruce Brown really is kind of like the prototype of that almost in a way. I, I might I might revise that at some point if I find an example just thinking back but you know Bruce Brown last season um just kind of really came out of nowhere as as like a really important piece to that team and you know and a lot of people were pretty fascinated by that uh for the reasons I just explained so yeah but back to the Warriors Wiggins has been really good in that 3 and D um wing role as well as that like secondary or tertiary shot creator role. Also, Draymond has been a lot better uh, this season on defense 
you know, he's looked closer to peak Draymond uh, than he has definitely last couple seasons. Um, you know, he'd, he'd probably be in like the defensive player of the year race if uh, he, you know, wasn't injured. You know, he's missed a lot of the season at this point. So, but I think he's coming back soon. So that'll be huge for the Warriors come playoff time. But yeah, the Warriors this season have been able to build a really good, you know, defense and scheme around uh, around Steph. I think it was really smart of them to go get guys like Bielitsa and Porter, like I said, um, because I think Steph just kind of works best with a certain type of role player. Um, like, I think it's why he hasn't worked super well alongside James Wiseman and I guess other young guys that they brought in. Um and why he works so well with guys like Kevon Looney. Um, I think there's just a certain level of like intelligence. I, w- I don't want to say intelligence, but like basketball IQ and maybe not even basketball IQ, but just like specific basketball knowledge or basketball style uh, that fits alongside Steph really well. You know, guys that just really know how to play off him, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, they really adjust their game or they really um play to Steph's strengths and they um they use Steph's unique abilities to the team's advantage stuff like that I guess um instead of you know younger prospects that are kind of coming in and just playing their brand of basketball that um has got them to where they are and um they feel like that's the brand of basketball they need to play you know I'm I don't know if that's really what it is but it's just kind of theorizing here. But yeah, they've been night and day difference between last season to this season. Um, and really just like two years ago to this year is the even bigger difference, you know, because they were, you know, one of the worst teams in the league a couple of years ago um, when, you know, Steph sat out the whole year. So, you know, it's hard to compare. They're not even the same team as that year. But last year where Steph played the whole year um, and they were scraping and clawing to get into the playoffs uh, I believe they finished like the eight. See, I think I said in that clip that you guys heard a little bit ago that they finished ninth, but I think I only, I think I remember them finishing ninth because they lost in the play-in tournament. And if I'm not mistaken, they played the Lakers in the first play-in game, meaning that they would have had to be either the seven or eight seed. Um, and then they lost to Memphis um, in the second play-in game. Um, and Memphis beat San Antonio in their first play-in game. And then Memphis made it in there as the eighth seed in the playoffs because they beat the beat the Warriors, uh, which that was an awesome game. I remember it went to overtime and everything. Um, so that would mean that the Warriors were at least the eighth seed, um, but they they didn't finish as the eighth seed, I guess. You know, they didn't get into the playoffs with the eighth seed. Um, yeah. Very small details to um, go off on, but it's just what I got to do. But yeah, I think that'll be good enough on the Warriors. Um, really looking forward to the Lakers and Suns, mainly the Lakers, but I think Lakers and Suns, um, both those breakdowns, I think I'll have the most to say on. Clippers, I'll probably have the least to say on. Um, Kings, probably less than the Warriors but more than the Clippers, somewhere in between there. But yeah, um, I'll let you guys get into the next clip, and this one should be for the Clippers, which their line was 45 and a half. 
So yeah, I'll let you get into that. Next team, we got the Clippers. Man, this one was hard for me just because I have no idea what they're going to look like the whole season without Kawhi and also because of how I feel about the rest of their division really kind of swayed me on this one. I had them as under originally when I thought about this, but I think I'm going to choose the slight over. I don't feel good about it at all, but they might be able to get to 46 wins. I, I could see it, I guess. So I'm just going to use one of my overs there just because I, I have to in this division, I feel like. And yeah, so I'm going to put Clippers just because of when Kawhi comes back and, and it's playoff time, they're still going to be one of those teams that can really you know fight anybody, basically. So I'm going to put them in the B tier with some of these other teams. If I had a lock left, I'd lock the under. The under for sure. I just don't think, I don't think Kawhi's coming back at all. So that's kind of more not affect my over under because he wouldn't be back for the regular season anyway. I just don't think Kawhi's the type of player to like force himself to come back or try to grind to come back just with what you saw, um, how the injury went down. So I'm going to actually go um, and put them in the C tier. And I took the under because I don't think Paul George can be the best player on a team that wins 46 games. All right. Yeah, but he was the best player on a Pacers team that won 50. Yeah. That was also old Paul George and not now Paul George. Very different I, things. I still feel like Paul George as a number one guy, it, he's just better as a number one guy. But like not, it's not better for your team, but it's better for him. And I feel like yeah. he might be able to raise the floor enough to get into the mid-40s. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the slight over on it. I don't feel good about it. Jacob is a really hard under on it, but he doesn't have any locks left. Anthony, what about you? I got the over. I like Paul George as the number one option as well. They have a lot of they have young talent mixed with veteran talent as well. You know, you got you got Marcus Morris, but you also have players like Brandon Boston who will have an immediate impact on the team. So I'm going I'm going B as well. If Kawhi comes back, great, you know. But I think he can hold down the fort. I really do. You know, I was close on the Clippers, I guess. I, I went a slight over. Uh they're on pace for 43 wins at the moment their line was 45 and a half but yeah and so they i mean they've had a weird season Kawhi's been out all year as expected uh he's probably not coming back paul george has also missed most of the season he's only played like 26 games i think um and he's not expected to come back either um so it's basically been not you know there's not much to say about him i guess and i kind of want to just get to the lakers so um, uh, but it's funny that they, they keep beating the Lakers this season though. That's cool. Uh, it's a cool story for the Clippers. Um, but yeah, right now, I guess it's really just trying to get through the rest of the season to the point where they can get their stars back and have a unit, you know, to c- kind of put around them, which I think they, they do really have Tyloo's done really good. Um, being the head coach this season, keeping them, you know, competitive and, like a decent team, Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard and I don't know, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, uh, Evie Zubots, you know, all those guys, Nicholas Batum playing their roles and just stepping up when they need to stuff like that. Uh, they got Norm Powell now, Robert Covington and that Portland trade. So there's really not much else to say about the Clippers at all. They're yeah, they're the Clippers, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'll let you guys get into now the the clip of us doing the Lakers over under, and then you guys will hear the um, the doozy of a section uh, that I have with the Lakers. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, Lakers over under was fifty two and a half, just for context, because I don't think I say it 
in the clips that I show you, at least not on every team. So that's why I like to say them before. But yeah, I guess enjoy that. Moving on to the Lakers. I took the under with them because I'm going to keep this short. People are having conversations on podcasts right now about who their starting shooting guard is going to be. And Trevor Ariza is one of the names that people are suggesting as a starting shooting guard in 2022. So I'm going to put the under on this one. I don't like their team like hardly at all. I like some of the guys they have on their team, but they're just the rest of their lineup. How it fits together is just so awful. I am going to put them in a tier just because of they got LeBron and AD best, best duo in the past, I think 15 years, maybe, you know, Steph and Katie, but I'm not going to spend time on that. But I, yeah, so I'm going to put them up here. Honestly, if I did, if I had the choice, I would probably put them in their own tier between S and A because I like them a little bit better than the other teams I'm going to put in here as far as their top end. But yeah, I'm not feeling great about them. Anthony, what about you? I'm taking the over simply because of LeBron James. I just think this is regular season. Is regular regular season? season. Yes, but it's also 82 games instead of 72. It's an old team. The roster is weird. But I, I, I still have them as an S-tier team, especially with oh, LeBron S. and AD being healthy. It's still going to be a really good team. And it'll be weird. We'll see. We'll see. But, it's, you know, it's LeBron James. Simply because of that, he can carry those teams. I mean, we saw with the Cavaliers in, what, 2018, right? If I want to say. Yep. yep. Um, 2018. Like, that team was bad besides LeBron. So, um I think it fit around him much better though than this this team currently. I I don't think LeBron's the same player That's as fair. Yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Facts. I do I do like him. I do like them as an S tier team though. Okay. That's fair. I debated that for a little while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you took the over. Jacob, what about you? Under. Under. They're old. And I yeah. thought about taking the uh, the over just because Russell Westbrook, I think, is like the reason he was brought in wasn't for playoff production. It was to be like yep. uh, Energizer Bunny, just be like, okay, go win us this random, insignificant yeah, regular exactly. season game against Houston, but we don't yes. want to have LeBron get hurt. So yep. I almost said, but I've got him in A tier. Um, top of A tier, I think, Logan, you nailed it when you said they're in this weird zone between S and A, but I've definitely got him in A tier. I've got the under on that. I can totally see where you're coming from, Anthony. I wouldn't say it's as much LeBron as it is Anthony Davis might finally like turn into a, a leg- cause I think LeBron's slowly going to have to just change how he plays. It's not going to be that overwhelming force anymore, but yeah, that's, that's another mm-hmm. one the Lakers. You hear it everywhere. Yeah. I just got a lot of concerns about their roster. And I think yeah. Frank Vogel will take the brunt of the getting yelled at, even though it's not his fault this time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just a couple more things on them though. They're going to lose all of their perimeter defense. All they have is Anthony Davis now, like literally. And LeBron James, I just feel like we don't know what he's going to look like. 36 years old. He's over 60,000 minutes now. Like, I, yeah, I just don't feel good about it. And I just, just feel like that's like brought up every year, though. Just how LeBron looks. But he, he, his last playoff series he played in, he didn't look very... I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm going to be surprised if he does come out and he's LeBron again. I'm not, I won't be surprised, especially come playoff, playoff time. But I don't feel good about mm-hmm. getting the over uh, this yeah. season, especially if with Anthony Davis be getting injured all the time. And them not really mm-hmm. having safety measures for that, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now it's time to get into my additional thoughts on the Lakers and how they're doing this season. Uh, but before I let you guys get into that, I just want to mention really quick because I forgot to mention um, this in the commentary that I did record for. 
Lakers that I'm about to play for you. Um, it's a pretty important piece, uh, and that is, you know, the Lakers over underline obviously was 52 and a half wins, uh, but the pace that they're currently on is 36 wins, I believe, at the moment. Um, so yeah, they're like uh, not even close to uh, getting to that over. So pretty safely in the clear on this one. But yeah, with that, I'll let you guys get into uh, my very long section on the Lakers. Enjoy. All right, so I was right with the Lakers, but it's really even worse than I was predicting. Like, honestly, how bad they've been this season has really affirmed, like, my analysis, or at least my uh, perception of how my analysis is, you know? Um, Because when that trade happened, man... I was I was so confused when the rust trade happened. Did not understand it. It really like I'm trying to remember if Carmelo signed there before the Westbrook trade or if it was after. I think it was before. Cuz the Westbrook trade was like around the draft, I think. Yeah, it was on draft night. Um wait, so that would mean that the that free agency would have been after that right yeah okay Carmelo signed with the Lakers on August 6th the day after my birthday (laughs) yeah so it was after okay yeah for those who don't know I'm a big Melo fan grew up watching the Melo Nuggets you know um first with Iverson then with Chauncey you know I'm still a Nuggets fan today uh but you know I still root for Melo wherever he's at. So I was excited for him signing with the Lakers. I remember thinking that like, you know, it'd be cool if they uh, win a championship. Like this is probably one of the first times I'll really be rooting for LeBron to win a championship. And yeah, so I remember when Melo signed there, I was pretty happy in terms of like, I knew the Lakers spacing was going to be garbage um, just by the mere idea or fact that, they're going to have LeBron, AD, and Russ all on the same team. So I thought that Carmelo was going to be a really valuable, you know, just catch and shoot guy for them at the very least, um, which he has been, especially at the beginning of the season. He was on fire. Yeah. So that's why he's been important for them, really. And so this year, I've been kind of just rooting for him to climb higher and higher in the all time scoring list. Um, he's at nine right now. Basically, that's been my rooting for the Lakers this season because they're definitely not winning the championship. That's for sure. So let's just get into like the meat of this section now, um, which is definitely the rust trade and how that just changed everything about this, you know? Um, So let's go back a little bit. You know, they won the championship in 2020. The, and they were a really good team. That wasn't a fluke as much as people like want to, clown on nba twitter about you know a mickey mouse ring and stuff like that because of the whole bubble disney world thing um it's like that was a really good team um just that season and that postseason alone you know lebron and ad just as a duo is as good as like anything you could ask for um especially when they really you know 
are up against it. They really need to win. But anyways, yeah, so they won that championship 2020, and it was really anchored by their defense. You know, AD as the D... No, he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year that year. That was Giannis. But it was... Uh, it was definitely that was the race though for the defensive player of the year it came down between Giannis and AD you know AD as the the middleman in that defense rim protector as well as one-on-one paint defender switchable around the perimeter Um, and building that defense with like guys like KCP Alex Caruso Rajon Rondo um, Kyle Kuzma Markeith Morris um, Danny Green, you know, just switchable defenders like those guys, as well as, you know, floor spacers, you know, the three-point shooters, all of them, the, those guys that I named, other than, I guess, Rondo, but even him in the playoffs um, was pretty reliable behind the line. So, you know, that was like their whole identity on defense was all these switchable guys kind of just holding everything up around a generational Swiss Army knife defender in Anthony Davis. And then, you know, uh, having LeBron is kind of more the cerebral leader to the defense, like the the captain of the defense in a way. Um, Really good at making reads, uh, communicating, anticipating like, you know, full court passes and stuff like that, getting interceptions. And then offensively, basically just building it around LeBron in AD pick and roll or isolation, one of them isolating especially in units where it's just one of them um, and surrounding that with capable shooters and, you know, point guard who can set up, set up the offense like, like Rondo or Alex Crusoe. So it was a really good team because it was a LeBron, AD and role players around that, that were all very good at what they did. So, you know, they lost some of those guys over the couple seasons, you know, until now. Like Danny Green left in the offseason in a trade, actually. They traded him for Dennis Schroeder, which I thought was a good move at the time. But anyways, what, what I'm saying is they lost, because especially that they didn't resign Schroeder, who fits that role kind of too with the defense and, and the catch-and-shoot ability. Um, like They lost a couple of those guys, but they had enough left at the end of last season and at the start of this season. You know, They had KCP, who's just great in his role, honestly, just like... If you're surrounding a team, or you're, if you're surrounding LeBron and AD with you know the rest of the lineup, got a guy like KCP is a perfect, a perfect option for one of those three spots. You know, just a three and D smaller wing guy. Uh, that's you know that's just what he is. So, but yeah. So they still had KCP. They still had Kuzma. They still had uh, Markeith Morris. They still had um, Alex Caruso. You know, so some of that identity was still there. But Caruso was a free agent, and they decided not to re-sign him so that they could afford uh, Taylor Horton Tucker instead, I guess, on his extension. Um, at least that's what I've heard, is that it basically the decision was between Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker. They chose to keep Taylor Horton Tucker, who, by the way, you know he's a he's a much younger player and has somewhat of an enticing like potential maybe but his play style is not at all what i'm talking about with the 
three and D ability. Like he has the physical tools for defense, but he hasn't shown to be a great defender so far. Um, and he's very, very poor shooter. Um, not the greatest decision maker either. Just kind of a, you know, clear out. Let me just kind of take this really ballsy shot type of guy, which, you know, is not really the kind of guy you want in, in this mix or in this roster, you know, you know, it's not like the mold that I've been talking about at all. Um, but yeah, so apparently there was a trade that they were going to make, and this is basically confirmed as far as I know, that they were going to trade Montrez Harrell, who doesn't really fit their team anyways, so it was, you know, good to get off him, and Kyle Kuzma uh, for Buddy Heald from the Kings. So Harrell and Kuzma for Heald, uh, one of the best shooters in the league. So that would have really, really um, helped them with the spacing, especially now with, like, um, Caruso being gone. So you, know, you still have KCP at that point, which I think is a really big thing. But really, if, if we're doing revisionist history here, which really isn't that much of revisionist history, actually, because this is what I would have done at the time and what really confused me about what Rob Polinka and the Lakers front office were doing, you know, they they should have just re-signed Crusoe because, you know, any analytics guy will tell you how good the numbers are with the Lakers when LeBron and Crusoe are on the court together. That's like their best duo, basically, outside of LeBron and AD. Crusoe fits a LeBron ball style team, you know, really well. So I would have kept him. Sure, Taylor Horton Tucker is young and you want to try to secure a future also, but it's like LeBron is 37 um ad's injury prone he has been his whole career why not just take the guy who you know ensures that you're a good team still right now and they should have made the the heel trade was the other thing so uh if they did both those things they would be a much better team this year i'm sure of it even if ad you know was missing all this time i still think that they would be a better team and there would also be less expectations on them because of all the people that you know it's Westbrook's name, you know, and his image of who who he is as a player. People are expecting it to be a big three, you know, but this is the like worst assembled big three ever. Like LeBron and AD make sense together as long as they're surrounded by shooters. That would be awesome. That fits so well together. Adding another non-shooter to LeBron and AD lineup, um, has already proven to be really dumb, which is because they've they've done it for a long time with having having to play a five alongside AD because AD refuses to play five, and the only fives for some reason that they get are uh, guys like Dwight Howard and Andre Drummond and JaVale McGee, guys who can't shoot. Um, other than the one time they did get Marcus Saul, but then they just never played him until um, it was too late in the playoffs last year. But I digress. So they've already been prone to doing that in the past, playing another non-shooter out there with LeBron and AD, which I don't want to call them non-shooters, but they're less than ideal shooters. And you don't, you don't want them to default to being spot up shooters because that's exactly what the defense would want you to do with them because then they're not doing what they're really good at. You know, it's kind of been my argument with Embiid for so long about why I don't think he should play it on the perimeter as much. Um, as he does 
because even though, yeah, I get that he's a unicorn and he's good at it. Like he can shoot, he can space the floor and stuff like that. I'm not saying he can't do that ever, but I feel like if I was playing the Sixers and this is an analogy for, you know, AD and the Lakers as well. Um, if I'm playing one of those teams, then I'm kind of glad when they decide to use that as their game plan, but, you know, put AD or Joel Embiid as basically like a stretch big out on the perimeter, you know, because that's, I think a lot less dangerous than what they could be otherwise. Um, yeah. So I think that's been the Lakers problem with AD already is playing a center with them. That isn't a shooter at all. And then on top of that, now you have Russell Westbrook, who is one of the, I'm not even say one of, like, I think mathematically is like the worst shooting guard of all time, like shooting space guard, not like, you know, the position shooting guard. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, he's the worst guard when it comes to shooting in the history of the league because of the sheer volume of shots that he takes combined with the horrible percentage that he makes them at. Um, that's been his story his whole career is yeah he puts up great numbers and great highlights and stuff like that and he is a great player he does things that most other players can't do because of like his athleticism and drive and tenacity and energy and all that kind of stuff but he's also not he's not a good player in the clutch he never has been he is not a good decision maker he doesn't slow the game down and pick things apart he doesn't read the game that way or at least he doesn't choose to he his whole thing is his motor is never letting up off the gas pedal you know which isn't really a lebron style of of play so it's kind of weird to pair those especially when he when he's a guy that's supposed to have the ball in his hands because he doesn't do anything off ball he never has his whole career in that in that regard either because he's played with stars like kd who is a very off ball leaning superstar. You know, he doesn't need to handle the ball a lot to be good and he doesn't want to, but anyways, yeah. So that's why I didn't like the Russ trade. I hope that kind of made sense a little bit. The, uh, like the thing that was brought up at the time by a lot of people, not a lot of people, but the few people that were defenders of this trade, the thing that I kept hearing was the idea behind it was like, you know, LeBron's 37, AD always gets injured. So the plan is, you know, just load manage those guys quite a bit throughout the regular season and, you know, and just have the workhorse that Russell Westbrook is to elevate that team uh, during the regular season to get them, you know, a good seed, uh, get them good position in the playoffs. Um, let him handle most of that work, which like right when you say it makes a little bit of sense. But there's still the the aspect of these guys need to play together. Are we just going to like forget about the fact that these people need to play basketball together on the court? Just just because you can say when they're not on the court, Russell Westbrook can be Russell Westbrook. Like when is that? How how often is that really going to be? And what happens when you do have LeBron and AD? What is Russell Westbrook going to be doing then? I'm sure he doesn't want to come off the bench. I'm sure that won't go over well, which it hasn't, um, you know, 
and even it's like I don't know and even using Russell Westbrook in that role is just do you is that what you really want to be paying a guy 40 million dollars to be your backup shot creator backup you know uh number one option I don't understand it and also the other thing that I was hearing uh this was from Big Waz on uh the ringer thing he started saying was like you know he's in on the rust trade now because uh he just thought about how you know all Russell Westbrook needs to do is give the the same kind of production that the Lakers were getting with Rondo and Alex Caruso uh in that championship season you know Russ can just play that role which right when he even said that I was like what <laughs> that's not the type of player Russ is at all he's a worse shooter than both of them and that's saying something especially with Rondo um and he's does not have the same play style at at all it's not even close to the same like people will say like yeah I mean Russ is a really good playmaker he's a good playmaker because he's a, he's a good playmaker in the way that most really athletic guards are good playmakers um and that just means that he you know he can get downhill get to the rim really well penetrate the defense which forces the defense to collapse and so then he can just swing it out to open shooters make those somewhat simple passes you know in the grand scheme of things somewhat simple passes um you know and it's a it's definitely a skill to be really good at that and that's an aspect of playmaking and he's really good at that aspect of playmaking but he's never been a guy that's like you know going to give you a perfect entry pass you know to a post like it, like you know or a lob to ad on a roll or you know some kind of you know threading the needle type type passes like that or really just like the uh the the hockey assist type thing you know like you know, just setting up the play before it really comes to fruition. Um, you know, that's the type of player that Rondo is. That's the type of player that Alex Crusoe is. Uh, Russ Westbrook's never been like that. Uh, both those guys, you know, are going to do all the dirty work of, you know, playing defense and cutting and screening and, you know, spotting up, all those things. Westbrook's never done any of those things either, and he's still very reluctant to. Uh, in a Lakers jersey he's been very bad at all of those things Um, you know defensively it's just because of how much he gambles again it it goes back to like the mindset or the philosophy that Russell Westbrook plays with which is the reason why a lot of people love him you know it's just that high motor that like just never quitting type type of intensity Um, and honestly all of this is just kind of uh, confirming to me that like what I thought about Rob Palinka as a GM it's kind of right. Like, I don't know this might just be cherry picking, I guess, but most of the moves that Palinka's made, basically all of them for the most part, this whole time he's been the GM. Um, well, not basically not the whole time he's been the GM, but the whole time LeBron's been here, basically, I, I guess I should say like the AD trade. That's obviously none of that was Palinka. Like, all of that is LeBron, that, you know, the recruiting factor and and the location, you know, that's where AD lives in the offseason. He's friends with LeBron. He wants to play in, in Los Angeles. 
So he forces his way out of his current team, the Pelicans, and says, I'm only going to resign um, with the Lakers. Like after I'm traded, I'm not going to resign with any of these teams. If I if I'm traded anywhere else besides the Lakers, I'm not going to resign with that team. Um, so that gives all the leverage in the world to the Lakers, to Rob Palenka, to basically steal Anthony Davis, you know, away from from Pelicans for much less than he's worth. And they ended up giving away all of their future, like all of their draft capital. Um not even like, I think every single first round pick that they could, that, that that was allowed the next four first round picks. They gave all of those to the Pelicans along with, um, Brandon Ingram, who is the second pick in the 2016 draft, 2017 draft, something like that. I think 2016. And then Alonzo ball, who was the second pick in the, uh, 2017 draft and then Josh Hart who was like wasn't he the MVP of the summer league uh, like a couple years before that or something like that like and three three um enticing young players you know three good young players um who have all you know improved even since then a lot actually all of them um have been really good ever since that trade you know they gave up all of that for Anthony Davis so just literally every future asset they had um, other than Kuzma. Kuzma was the one they decided to keep, um, which I'm not saying is a terrible decision. He's the worst out of the – like he's definitely the worst out of those three, Lonzo, um, Ingram, and Kuzma. But, you know, he was still a valuable piece for them in their championship run, being the defensive wing that he was. Um, you know, he played his role. So – but yeah, not a future star or a future like, you know, real asset. Um cuz, you know, Kuzma ended up being one of the pieces in the Russell Westbrook trade, which is terrible. Um Yeah, I'm trying to think of something else. They didn't resign Schroeder for anything. Not even what he ended up getting in Boston, which was like less than 6 mil for a year. Um which was odd that they didn't do that. Like he, I know he was saying or whatever that he wanted a hundred million dollar contract. And that's why he didn't uh, sign the extension um, that the Lakers originally offered him, which was like, you know, four years, 80 mil. Um, So I get that, but still at the point that he couldn't find anything else, why, you know, I don't know. Anyways, maybe he didn't want to play there, but, um, the other thing, though, was Harrell. You know, bringing in Harrell was weird. Um, never understood the fit of that one. Um, I, ne- I, you know, I was never a really big fan of that. Uh, never been a huge fan of, you know, getting all those centers. But, you know, that's an AD thing. Um, guys like JaVale McGee, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond, you know. And then not re-signing. Caruso and now the rest trade I believe that's all of like the at least the big stuff that's happened um so yeah I don't get that I don't know if it's him just doing what LeBron wants and if that's the case I don't understand LeBron as like a evaluator of 
you know, basketball players, or at least, uh, you know, roster construction. I, I know that they were definitely trying to recruit a star before Russ, because obviously that's not going to be the first choice. Um, just because he does, you know, the, the clear clashy fit is what I, what I mean by that. Um, they were definitely, I mean, it's confirmed that, um, they met with, and when I say they, I mean, LeBron and AD met with, you know, Damian Lillard in the off season, trying to get him to come to the Lakers, you know, Dame basically was like, no, this loyalty to Portland is a really big thing for me. Um, so he refused, uh, DeRozan was the other one, I think. And I can't, I don't remember what the reason was why he wouldn't have come um, to the Lakers, why he would have ended up signing with Chicago. I'm guessing probably money because I know that he's always wanted to play in LA because that's where he's from. Um, So I'm guessing it was probably the fact that they didn't have the cap space to just flat out sign him and Chicago did. Yeah, so when all those things didn't work, then I guess they turned to Russ and explained it by saying what I said earlier uh, with the, you know, he's just going to carry the load when LeBron and AD are resting. Yeah. So it's been rough. Um, And this has caused some, you know, players to emerge as real big pieces for them. Like Austin Reeves, undrafted 23 year old, um, six, five wing that, he's he's a good three and d guy you know that's what he what he really is and that's because that's the void that they just created by giving up all those guys in that trade with with the westbrook trade well namely kcp but you know you know what i mean what what little they had left of that is what they gave away and so then that you know the reason why i'm not saying austin reeves isn't good and he's definitely yeah like probably should have been drafted but the reason why he he works so well with the Lakers is because they need what they need a player to do what he does well. You know, they need a player that has his strengths, and they don't have those. <laughs> um, you know, even though Carmelo's a shooter, uh, defensively he does not fit on the floor with LeBron and AD very well. At least ideally, you know, all three of those guys kind of play the same position. AD is a center at this point in the NBA. Um, whether he wants to admit it or not, that's that's where he makes sense the most. Um, but you know, Carmelo's a four or a small ball five um, in the modern league. Same with LeBron. Um, so having all three of them on the court together doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's why I didn't understand people before the season um, saying that Trevor Ariza was an option for starting shooting guard for them. Uh, like I said in that clip, that. That's really where I I think it kind of it kind of clicked for me because this whole time, even though I was doubting this trade and I thought that it was terrible just from like everything I know about basketball and roster construction, I was like, this is ugly. Uh, it doesn't make sense. It's always like a tale that's old as time of like, you can't doubt LeBron. You know, that's just kind of a unwritten rule. Like if it's if it's a LeBron team, they're going to the finals, like no matter what basically other than I guess last season because they lost in the first round but that was also AD got hurt so regardless if it's a LeBron team they're going to be in the playoffs or they're going to be good you know something along those lines they're going to make it work better than you you think they will just on paper but yeah 
So that's why I was really, you know, not fully committing in that uh, to my like distaste for what they were doing, because there's that factor, that like unknown factor of what's going to happen. Like, how is LeBron going to make this work? Um, But where it really started to click for me and where I became really confident about especially just choosing the under with them under 53 wins um, was was hearing that from from, you know, guys on podcasts, guys from ESPN and stuff like that talking about the Lakers lineups and them somewhat confidently saying, honestly, like like saying it without uh, like that there's an issue with it that like Trevor Reza is going to start for the Lakers at two at the two guard. You know, Trevor Reza is like uh, like six eight, maybe even six. Nine, I don't know, somewhere in there. He's a big wing, and he's what thirty four. He's even older than thirty four, I think. At this point, is he older than Carmelo? He's thirty six, so not as old as Carmelo, but still really old. Um, for a guy that you're putting at the two guard, um, you know, a six eight, thirty six year old is not going to play the two guard in the NBA. De- uh, like defensively speaking, I mean, he's not going to match up with the two guard, and that's what you're going to have to do if you have, if you have a center, if you have Dwight Howard or whoever. Even they were starting DeAndre Jordan at the beginning of the season. I don't know what they've been doing lately, to be honest. But you know, DJ at the five, AD at the at the four, um, and then like LeBron at the three, Ariza at the two, and Russ at the one. Like that just makes me want to vomit. Does that not make other people want to vomit? That is un I like it makes my head spin on what who why do certain people have jobs in the NBA? <laughs> like who anybody involved with making that a reality should like really take a look in the mirror. <laughs> like what what in the world was that? Why? How did that ha- happen under Rob Polinka's watch? under LeBron's watch like they're the ones making decisions and those were the decisions that were made um so maybe they were expecting the market to be you know more prosperous than it was but you can really plan for that ahead of time I don't know if there were really any free agents that they thought they were going to get that they ended up not getting that might be the case but even then like there's nobody that's going to like make that lineup work that I mean from guys that were on the free agent market this off season. But yeah. So like, even though they clearly shot themselves in the foot from the get go, just with the roster construction, um, you know, Jacob called it and the clip that you guys heard a little bit ago where he said something about how like, they're still going to be blaming Vogel when this season doesn't go the way as planned you know, uh, blame is still going to go to him, even though it's clearly the roster construction. Um, and that overall has been pretty true. Like I know Vogel, I don't think, I don't think Vogel is without fault at all this season, like that he is a perfect coach or something. Um, I've never thought he was a perfect coach, but even with the, you know, little things here and there that you'd probably want to change about his game plan, you know, a lot of a lot of people probably would uh, change about his game plan. He's not. There's no way he's expected to make this roster work, make this 
thing actually work. But somehow he's been on the hot seat like almost this entire season. Um, ever since, I don't know, ever since probably the beginning of the new year, I would say, uh, is when it really kind of started catching momentum of like, you know, this could be Vogel's last game, depending on if they win or not. You know, that that came out a couple times. I guess, you know, no move was made on that, but which I think is a good thing. I think it was dumb this whole time that you're just putting blame on him where, I mean, I think in sports, most of the time, whenever there's a problem, it's kind of really easy to just blame the coach. When a lot of times I feel like it actually does come down to the personnel and it's just the roster was, it, it didn't, it wasn't put together well, you know, and you know what I'm saying? So but the reason, you know, the coach usually goes before the GM is because the GM hires the coach. So then the GM fires the coach to try to fix it. Um, and when that doesn't work, yeah, usually um, GMs don't don't stay there super long after a cycle of that, um, like Neil Olshay in Portland. Um, and so, you know, most of this blame should probably go to Palenka or, you know, or LeBron James. Um, who a lot of people do believe is the guy that's actually making the decisions in essence. And this has been a take of, I mean, it's not my take. It's a been a take for a while now from people, but I remember saying it on some sort of episode or podcast or something like that. Um, I think before this season, just about LeBron's history of like, when he comes to a team, he like every move that is made is to maximize the right now, like the win now type thing. And so they trade away all of, you know, future assets, all that kind of stuff. And after just a couple seasons, um, really it, you start to see the effect of that. You start to see how the franchise is like crippled now. And he kind of drains the franchise of its value and then once it's, you know, all dried up, it's time to go to a new place that, hey, they, they've been bad for a little while now. So I look like a good guy because I'm going to a team that isn't really good yet, but they're set up pretty well with assets to kind of put all their chips in the middle, in the middle and uh, actually make a move to put together a championship roster. You know, um, like that was the case, him leaving the Heat to go back to the Cavs. Um, I'm not saying that there wasn't any part of LeBron that was like, yeah, I, would, I do want to go back to Cleveland to win this for, you know, my home, my home team and everything like that. I definitely believe that was a part of it. But if, if the Cavs weren't in the prime position that they were in, didn't have like all of the draft capital and all of the stuff that came from, you know, the aftermath of LeBron leaving, if, they didn't have all that stuff, you know, Kyrie and all these picks, then I don't think LeBron goes back there. I think LeBron goes somewhere else that is more set up for, you know, turning things around for, you know, buying. And by the end of his time there in Cleveland, after Kyrie left, after Isaiah Thomas didn't work out, um, you know, he tried one more move there at the uh, trade deadline in 2018 his last season there and you know just got everything switched around got basically a whole new roster because nothing was really working um 
with the Cavs. So they traded away Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder, most notably, probably. Um, some other stuff. Maybe maybe Derrick Rose was uh, in there at that point. I can't remember exactly. But they traded away you know, a lot of players. Uh, guys that got back were like Rodney Hood, I remember. George Hill. Um, yeah. Anyways, so that, you know they just kind of shuffled everything up again uh, to see if that would work, kind of get more of a good fit around LeBron for that 2018 run. So you know at that point it, it, everything was gone. Like there wasn't anything really left that was gonna be a real you know contributing side piece to LeBron other than kind of Kevin Love still was you know, pretty effective, not, not close to like, it's basically what, you know, happened to Chris Bosh in, in Miami, but even worse, I think. Cause I feel like Chris Bosh was even, he was a lot better in Miami than most people were thinking at the time. Like the general public thought at the time, just cause his stats got a lot worse and stuff like that. He just, he became a really, really, really good role player, um, playing, you know, a necessary role for that team. Kevin Love, I think, did also become somewhat of a role player, um, but he also, I don't think he was good as Chris Bosh in terms of like when he needed to be uh, leaned on for you know coming up in the clutch or coming up um, as basically the second guy to LeBron when Kyrie was not an option. He wasn't super um, effective at that. But yeah, what I'm saying is LeBron shuffled the deck there in Cleveland that final year and then was, you know, looking for a new destination. Cleveland didn't have a whole lot to work with at the time to make a big move. So he went to Los Angeles, you know, a team that had been really bad for basically ever since the end of Kobe's career there. Um, So really bad for at least a half decade at that point, probably maybe not at least, but probably actually right on a half decade probably since 2013 uh and he went there uh 20 at the start of 2018-19 so they had some young talent some good draft capital you know all that stuff the young talent wasn't to the point of like you know really high level winning pieces quite yet but like you know the talent was still there it was Lonzo Ball Brandon Ingram Kyle Kuzma um Josh Hart you know Alex Caruso KCP was already there at that point. Brooke Lopez, I believe, was... That might have been the season he, he went to Milwaukee, though, in the offseason. Um, regardless, though, like, they had they had stuff. And that was the first season that LeBron really was injured for, like, a, a decent amount of time, like, for, like, a couple months. Um, Lonzo also missed quite a bit of time, I remember. You know, Kuzma had stretches of the season where he looked really, really good. Ingram, you know, had his moments as well. That's kind of how it was for all those guys, all those three younger guys. They weren't super consistent throughout the season, but they had their moments. They had flashes, you know. Um, And when the summer, even when he went there, it was kind of supposed to be like, oh, Boogie Cousins is going to team up with him there. Somebody's going to team up with him there. Who's who's it going to be? Kawhi was a a thing, you know, because he was leaving the Spurs at that point. Um, before we knew he was going to Toronto, but he didn't end up getting anybody. So I believe just when at the point where he got injured, he was like, "All right, let's just not tank necessarily the rest of the season, but 
this se- the rest of the season is going down the drain. Let's just focus on being ready for next year. Um, and ultimately, you know, let's put together a package to get AD out here. Um, and it, yeah, that was a narrative all season long that uh, he could have been moved at the deadline. Like, you know, that was stuff that, that was something that people were talking about. Uh, didn't end up happening until the summer. But yeah, they gave up all that stuff, like I said. And AD already was a pretty shaky individual to to really put put everything you know he's not he was a somewhat risky basket to put all your eggs in is the way i'm gonna say it but uh just because of his his motor has always been a big question for some people especially me like i've always been on that side of things with ad like seeing the talent and seeing what he could be um has always intrigued me but then it's it seems like he's just never there. He's never there at a at a consistent rate or at like a steady level, you know? It's always just like in spurts, and then he's just... It seems like he's lackadaisical um, the rest of the time when he's not injured, you know? <laughs> um, which is another thing. He gets dinged up all the time. He's got, uh, you know, two-week injuries routinely, throughout the season sometimes even worse and at this point this season and really last season it seems like he's just not quite the same guy especially this year i'll give him credit he was still looked good last year but like 2020 was like peak anthony davis still um you know he was obviously still peak anthony davis back his last couple years in in um new orleans but um that last or that that first season of his in la 2020 just being the defensive monster that he was and just having the he's like he's like a big wing um center hybrid and that's what made him so so good that's what kind of made him like a Tim Duncan or a KG you know because that's what they are uh, or you know that's what they were they have like the frame and wingspan of a big but then they have like the physique athleticism agility of like a wing you know um, so it makes them just the best of both worlds, defending on the perimeter as well as defending at the rim now. And this is something that, um, Bill Simmons has brought up like a lot this season on his podcast, probably too much, but, um, something he's brought up a lot is like AD's like physique now is much more, you know, much more bulky. Um, like he's put on a decent amount of muscle. And that probably combined with maybe injuries stacking up on him as he's getting a little bit older has made him a lot less mobile um, than he used to be. A lot less explosive, covers not as much ground. He's still one of the best at what he does in the league when he's doing it out there this season. But he he's clearly like come down from like the pantheon that, that he was on. You know, like he, he was otherworldly before. And now he, he seems a little bit more human, you know, um, if that makes sense. And so that combined with the roster not fitting around him like at all anymore um, has really made it so uh, like it's really bad timing. It's very, That's a very bad coincidence that, you know, they don't have that superhuman um, guy who could who could uh, really just do it all by himself, make you a good defense just by the sheer fact that he's on the floor. 
um, which is what he was in New Orleans. Now, now he's he doesn't seem like he's quite that guy, and also he's just not on the floor very much, so that that hurts too. Um, so I think that's been a big piece of this as well of why the Lakers are just not not clicking, not uh, working defensively like they um, like they were in the championship season. You know, number one, I think it's the roster. Number two, they don't have that safety pin or that safety vest of of Anthony Davis being the all-timer that he is. He's not been available, and he's not been that same level of guy um, thus far this season. All right, but, yeah, so what I was talking about, though, LeBron being a kind of a franchise wrecker in a way, um, now, you know, it's kind of like presidential terms. He's was, you know, four years in Miami, four years back in Cleveland, this is his fourth year now in, in LA and everybody's saying that he's going to be gone um, after this contract is up, which I believe he's under contract next season as well, the 2023 season. And that's why people are bringing up the idea that the Lakers best bet is just trade LeBron this off season and see what kind of a return you can get for, you know, going on 38 year old LeBron, which is still something it's probably going to be a decent return, you know. Um, you're going to get some stuff out of that. I'm, I'm sure of it. Somebody's going to be willing to trade for LeBron. Um, and yeah, maybe just I guess try to retool around AD if that's what you want to do. I'm sure a lot of Lakers fans are probably off that by now because of how frustrated that fan base is with AD at this point. Uh, for reasons I've been talking about. So maybe they trade both of them. <laughs> maybe they just completely reset. Um, I don't know. But honestly, I don't think it's a crazy idea. Just from like logistics standpoint of, of how to manage assets. Um, but it does sound crazy from the perspective of like you, you're trading LeBron James. That's kind of That's kind of weird to think about. Um, I guess that's what I wanted to say with the Lakers. I think, uh, yeah, there's something also that I wanted to mention about Lonzo. I, I almost said it twice now because I brought up Lonzo with the AD trade and then I brought up Lonzo again when I was talking about what was on the Lakers when LeBron first got there. Um, and I forgot to mention it both times. But uh, I was going to mention is, isn't it just kind of funny to think about how Lonzo Ball is like the perfect point guard that, the Lakers, the current Lakers would need right now. Like that would be a perfect match to have Lonzo ball as the point guard on the Lakers right now, because you know, he is a very skilled playmaker. He would pair very well with AD. Uh, He's turned himself into a really good spot up shooter and he's a really good defender. So, but honestly at this point, even on the open market, like I think his value is still higher than, than, uh, Russell Westbrook's um, just like in a vacuum, even not just to the Lakers, which is kind of crazy to think about, but yeah, Lonzo ball is not something the Lakers can get for anything that they have. That's not LeBron or AD. Um, but just a funny thing I wanted to bring up. And so I guess just to close this uh, Lakers section up, um, basically just to summarize like the, my thoughts on the rest trade because uh, I think I, you know, I do this a lot. I kind of get all my thoughts out 
by rambling a little bit. And then after the fact, I kind of can see like, okay, no, this is how I should form it. Or this is how I can say it to, or articulate, you know, to really communicate exactly what I mean in a much more efficient way. Um, you know, it's just kind of trial and error, but yeah, so that I feel like, I feel like I can explain it a little bit better now. I feel like just if you break it down to like these essential pieces um, or these essential like concepts, you know the Russ trade was going to be a bad trade like just because of like he went from a team that he made some amount of sense on. He fit decently well on the Wizards roster um, and he was good with them, especially the second half of that last season. And he went from there to the Lakers, uh, which is a team he doesn't make any sense on whatsoever. And the Wizards roster, like, got better as a result from that trade. Like, just in a vacuum, from Washington's perspective, that ended up being, uh, like, a really good trade for them. Um, So that means that what the Lakers gave up to get Russ was almost certainly too much. You know, because... Russ's value is significantly lower to the Lakers than it is uh, on that team, on the Wizards. And somehow, you know, that team got more value back for that for that player, for Russ. And I mean, like, more value even from their perspective, their point of view. Just that simple concept should be a sign that that's a trade you shouldn't do in a million years. Like... That guy fits better on the other team very clearly than he does on your team. And what you're giving up to get him is something that the other team, like what you're giving up to get him are pieces that clearly fit on your team in Kuzma and KCP. And the Wizards, like that's that's something that the Wizards would even want more than Russell Westbrook. Not in a way of like tanking even, just like a way a way of like, balancing the roster more and adding more pieces to their roster that makes more sense so like it's just a it's like a not a it's not a lateral move it's it's just a completely downward move i don't even know what the word for that is like you're it's just like like the stuff the lakers gave up is more valuable to the lakers than it is to washington okay and the thing that washington gave up is more valuable to washington than it is the Lakers. You see how that math doesn't make any sense? Like, that's just a trade you don't do. Because clearly Washington is getting the better uh, end of that deal. If, you know, they'd rather give up the guy that makes more sense on their team than your team, and they're what they're getting in return is stuff that makes more sense on your team than their team, but they still think that that, that makes more sense on their team than the thing they're giving up does, like there, that is a no go. Don't do that. I know that was probably really confusing, but it makes sense to me. Yeah. Anyways, I think this is probably a good place to end. I think this will just be um, the Lakers, Clippers, and Warriors on this episode uh, because of how long this Lakers section is. So uh, there'll be a part two that will come out of this. So this will be like the Pacific Division over under is part one um and part two will just be the sons and the kings which i guess will be a lot shorter probably but yeah it's okay um i'll I'll get that out really soon i'll just do that really fast 
uh, for you guys. So yeah, thank you for listening. Like, rate, review, uh, follow the feed. You know, I don't know what all you're supposed to say with it when it's just a podcast platform because um, I only really use Spotify. Uh, so I don't know how it works on other platforms really. But that's just what I hear other people say. So like, rate, review, follow. I do all that stuff. Um, you know, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you next episode.